that last, in the last line there, I delight to do God's will. Would you say that is true of your life? You delight to do God's will. I think we experience times like that where we are delighting and obeying and walking with him. And, uh, and then there are other times where we're not delighting, right? Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to uh, speak to us through his word this morning. Father, thank you for allowing us to be together here this morning. People who understand the cross, who understand Christ's salvation, his love for us, your love for us, Lord. People who want to worship you because of that, because we know you have transformed our lives. You've saved us from our sin. Lord, help us. Help us to honor you even as we look into your word now this morning. Teach us by the power of your spirit, the presence of your spirit in our lives. And we trust that we'll be able to uh, just come away from this knowing that we've, we've honored you and, and head back into life and all that we face out in this world with a greater sense of your, your presence with us, your love for us, your guidance. Um, thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, we are back in James chapter 2, and we've been talking a lot about faith. James has been talking a lot about faith. And so we've been talking a lot about faith too. And you think about faith, the, the belief a person has that is either based on a solid foundation or a silly notion. That's what we can say faith is, the belief that somebody has. Now, we talked a little bit last week about this idea of different kinds of faith or different uh, nuances to the word faith, the definition of faith. And, you know, we can talk about the Christian faith. And that's historically what's been going on. You know, there's this Christian faith where that's centered around the cross of Jesus Christ, about God coming into the world as a man, about him giving his life so that people can have life and a relationship with him. That's faith. But then we talk about biblical faith, and that is what we read about where God works in our hearts. He brings us to a faith relationship with him. He transforms our heart. It's like he, he implants faith in our hearts. There's a difference, isn't there, between having an idea of what faith is about, the cross, the gospel, and then having God do a work in our hearts, bringing us to the place where we believe. We know we're sinners. We know he's our savior. We understand his love and his mercy toward us. And then we talk about faith. And this is where James spends most of his time talking about faith in terms of our human belief. How are you doing? James says as he talks to the early church. How are you doing living out that faith that you say you have? Are you believing? Does your life show that you're believing in God and in his gospel, that you've been transformed? Because a lot of times as we go through this life, you know, we live our lives like everybody else does, right? You have that problem too. It's not just me. 
where we slide back into this narrow view of what life is. We think about, you know, it's just, it's just making a living. It's just surviving here. It's just getting along in this world. And we don't see the wonder of life through eyes of faith. We're not living, believing in the presence of holy God who's all-powerful, sovereign, and yet merciful. Imagine if we could live every moment of every day in that context. Just a proper understanding of how this life really is. That God's with us. He is guiding us. He's upholding us. He's, he's, he's for us. And so James, he's, he's warning the church because it seems very early, very early in the day of the church, they, they started to stray from an understanding of who God was and they started to maybe love incorrectly for their benefit, which isn't love at all, right? We realize that. We saw it in the scriptures. And so he's encouraging us to understand where we fit into the grand scheme of things. It's not just fix how you act. It's recognize who God is, what he's done for us, and then allow him to work through us to love properly, to live in this, in this freedom where we understand Christ has gone before us. We don't have to worry. We're not, we're not climbing. Remember we talked about climbing with or without ropes, right? But climbing with confidence knowing that God has us. It's not up to us to make everything perfect, to find our own way to, to save ourselves. No, he's got us. It's just us, up to us to stay with him, to follow the route that he's, he's planned out for us and, and obey him. And just think of the security that we can have. Do we see this playing out in our lives? Does this sound familiar to us? Because this is James' concern. And as I said, this was the early church he was talking to. And, and so there must have been some struggles right off the bat. Right off the bat with people who, who lived even during the time of Jesus, who watched him die on the cross, who knew that story. They were struggling. And so this is God's concern for us. He wanted James to write that letter so that through the Spirit he could talk to the church in future years, future ages. He could communicate to you and I this morning as we think about our faith and how we're living it out so James seems to be talking to a church that might have started to think well you know my salvation it's a it's a spiritual thing it's it's theoretical and it doesn't really change the way I live who I am what I do and so today we arrive at the center of this book. I'll say the, the literary center, the theological center of this book. We've been reading all along through chapter one about how James has been saying, you know, if you're people of faith, if you have a relationship with Christ, your life should be transformed in this area, this area, this area, and this area. And here in verse 14 of chapter two, he says this. 
what good is it? We don't like it when someone starts out saying something as negative as that. What good is it? Especially if they focus on us. What good are you? (laughs) What good is it, he says, my brothers and sisters in Christ, if someone says he has faith, a belief in God, he has a, he has a, a proclaimed faith in Jesus Christ, but does not have works. It doesn't change the way he lives at all. Can that faith, and I would like to say that kind of faith, save him? That's James' question. I'll say again, to the early church, those people who, man, we would have said, they're part of the Bible. They were real Christians. Already struggling, already straying, already sliding in their focus. And that's what we do. When we're not keeping our eyes on Jesus, when we're not following him in a close relationship, listening to his word, listening to his promptings, the spirit in our lives, and and walking faithfully with him, we will go one way or the other. We'll go to one pole or the other. We'll go to one extreme or the other. We'll slide in some wrong direction because of our human nature, because of the world around us, because of Satan, the net that he's spread for our feet. He'll trip us up. And so we keep focused on Christ so that we walk our right. And James is saying, listen, this is my point. What good is it if you say you have faith, but it doesn't change your life? What good is that kind of faith? And what he says makes obvious logical sense here to us. As we read that verse, we go, oh, that makes sense. He's talking about old-fashioned, Old Testament hypocrisy, something that's been around for forever. People who say they believe. In fact, in the New Testament, Jesus talked in in Mark chapter 7, he talked to the Pharisees and we go, oh yeah, those guys, they were the the showpiece hypocrites. And he, he quoted to them from Isaiah. And he talked to them about a thing called lip service. It's not a term that we use very often today, but we understand what it means. He says, you know, you give lip service and then Isaiah says these people honor me with their lips but their heart is far from me they're saying the right things but there's no internal change there's no real change in the center of their person that changes the direction they're going in the things that they're doing the way they're thinking Later on in the gospel, in 1 John 3, John writes this in verse 18 and 19. He says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Reality. By this we shall know that we are of the truth 
and reassure our hearts before him. He's talking about who we are, the center of who we are. Is that where we're at? If we listen to all these things, uh, you know, I was thinking about modern day expressions. Put your money where your mouth is. You've heard that, right? Those challenges, like, if this is what you really believe, we want to see a change. We want to see you changing, you acting the way you ought. But you know, as people read through the Bible, sometimes they overthink things. They don't take it at face value. They don't listen to a challenge like this that James is making. And they start to, to, to develop theological arguments. And, you know, there's always been that challenge about, well, salvation. We believe it's by faith. And other people go, oh, we believe you work for your salvation. This isn't that argument, but so many times people start to scratch their head and go, well, he's talking about works here. Isn't salvation by faith alone? Well, if we look at the scriptures, we find out, yes, it is. In fact, Paul says it most clearly in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. He says it's a gift of God. You and me having faith in God, it's a gift from him. It's not of works. He, he says that specifically. It's a gift of God, not of works. He doesn't want us boasting, thinking, oh, well, it's because I was a little bit more special. I worked a little harder. I'm a little better than that. No, it's grace. It's God's gracious grace to us. It's his mercy. He's the one who picked us up out of our sin and saved us. But you know, even there, in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, and then verse 10, he talks about what real faith is. Because right after he says in verse 9, it's not of works, he says in verse 10, but you've been created to do good works. We've been created in the image of God to, to do good things. And then, through salvation, we've been recreated, we've been fixed, we've been saved, redeemed, transformed so that we can do good things to honor God. That's the result, isn't it? And so really, that's what James is talking about here. He's not contradicting what is said in other parts of the Bible. He's not saying that salvation is through good works he's not saying it's through a combination of faith and good works what he's saying is and what is very clear as we study this book is that he's saying real faith works real faith isn't just a, a say so sort of oh yeah i believe it transforms who we are and it continues to change our lives it continues to cause us to grow we continue to become more like more like the lord not just an idealistic belief we can think of plenty of examples of this in fact one i have written in here is you know just the whole environmental thing it seems we're more hyped up on saving the world and doing less 
about it in real time. In fact, it seems like the people who are most hyped up about, you know, environmental things, they're the ones that are crazily doing all these things, traveling all over the world and, and being the greatest hypocrites. There's no change in their life. And, you know, we don't talk about, we talk about being uh, climate activists, but we don't talk about shopping less and buying less things, traveling less. We don't talk about planting trees and picking up garbage. We seem more hyped up, more amped up, and less active. How tragic that is. If that's what goes on with us and we, when we talk about spiritual things. That we be just hyped up, ready to criticize others, and yet not allowing God to transform our lives, not walking with him through this transformation process. And so James is bringing our focus back, saying this commitment, it's a God-inspired commitment. There needs to be an outward lifestyle expression. And he talks about a few examples in this passage we're going to look at this morning. And they're great examples. The first one is a metaphor for true faith and at the same time it is an example of what true faith will do through us practically speaking and so we look at these examples there's there there are examples of true faith practically intellectually historically there's actually four examples the first two are negative the second two are positive i put the second two together because they're positive and efficiency and they're very similar but all the while, as you look through this passage, Paul goes back and forth, and it's like he's taunting us a little bit. He's saying, listen, you have got to understand, faith can't simply be in your head and not in your hands. Faith without works. That opening line, verse 14, what good is it? What good is it? And then in verse 17, he says, faith without works is dead. And then in verse 20, he goes back to that initial sort of statement. He says, faith without works is useless. And then he ends in 26, it's dead. Again, faith that doesn't change you. Faith that doesn't impact and continue to impact your life. It's dead. And we could say, well, why does James keep beating this dead horse? Because it's important. Remember last week we were talking about, you know, details. How important are the details really? As long as we got a general idea of what, what the gospel is, how important is it that it, it invades our life and changes every aspect of our life? Because lives are on the line. There are people who come to church and they don't know Christ. They're not walking with Christ. They have an understanding of the gospel. They can maybe give it to you. We don't want to be those people. And there are also people out there who need to hear the gospel. They need to hear the gospel with an authentic representation of what that gospel does. And we can be out there telling them about Jesus Christ 
dying on the cross for their sin. And we can, we can give it to them eloquently. We can give it to them explicitly. But if they don't see it transforming our lives, what are they going to think? They're going to say, it's not truth. Because it's not real. It's not real in their lives. And that is the thing this world is missing. You know, we struggle with the world. We, we shake our head. I mean, it's so far apart, these two things, reality and truth. But we need to bring them together. Not just in what we say, in how we live. Truth has to do with reality. And if it's not real, it's not truth. And if it's not true, it's not real. And that's not just a logical statement that people need to hear. It's a logical statement that we need to live. Reality and truth together. So let's look at this this morning. What is real faith? Real faith has a ministry that makes a difference for God. This is the first example after that verse 14 we looked at. And it says in verse 15 to 17, if a brother or sister, another Christian is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food. And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled. Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, it's dead. So James works off of this first example, something he was talking about last week we saw in verse 13 where he's talking about mercy ministry remember what he said he said for those who have received mercy they're going to show mercy those two things are connected together but we understand as christians we're supposed to be merciful people but he gives a stinging example here that shows a hole in empty belief an empty belief system that has no practicality for life. He asks the question, how merciful is it if in our supposed benevolence to the needy, we don't meet any needs? What kind of a mercy ministry is that? Well, we're going to start a mercy ministry in the church. We're not going to do anything for anybody. The people who are are stressed, we're not going to come alongside and encourage them. The people who are cold, we're not going to clothe them. The people who are hungry, we're not going to feed them. We're just going to have a ministry by that name. What good is it? You're still thinking, right? <laughs> it's no good. We've got to put legs to something. And so he's, he's using that example and it's very clear, we, we understand. He's in fact already talked about this and pushed us further. We remember at the end of James chapter 1, he says the measure of our religiousness, our relationship, he doesn't just mean religiousness in the sense that you come to church, he's saying the measure of our religiousness, our relationship with God is this. How do you take care of the most vulnerable who can't help you back? the widows, the orphans. 
how are you doing in that area? It challenges us. It challenges our heart. Because real faith helps real people with real needs. No matter what the real cost is. No matter what the return is. It's a transformed attitude. And like Christ who came not to receive but to give. But to be a servant to lay down his very life. We become more like that. We start to look more like Jesus as we walk in real faith. It has, real faith has notable aspects. We will practically be kind. We will be generous in practical ways. It'll be real. We didn't plan this in this way. But the Bible studies put on a little lunch at the, the Brock Street apartments yesterday. And someone asked if I would say something about it. No more appropriate time than right now. It worked. Um, not everybody came out from the building, but there were at least 10 people who came. And you could tell they were uncomfortable at the beginning. Who are this group of people? There were... There were four or five of us there. Who, and then there were people who made the meal, made soups, homemade soups, bread, and, and cheese, and, and even sugary stuff, and all the rest, and, and took it there. And the people were uncomfortable, but they settled in, and there were great conversations. And then one of them was taking meals to other people who would not leave their apartment. And then there was even some food left over that's left in the fridge there, that, that you know, just sign up and people will be able to eat it. And so we talk a lot about reaching and helping our community. Who are the needy? Who are the vulnerable? That was something we did. I know there are a lot of things that you might do as individuals. That's something we did as, as a group. That's something the Bible study groups got together and, and, and did. And it was a blessing to those people. There is a door opened terms of the love of Christ in a relationship scene. And James is merely saying, faith without works is like saying, I love those people, but you never do anything for them. Doesn't work, does it? It doesn't make any sense. No logical sense at all. Real faith has ministry that makes a difference for God. The next, real faith has belief that brings us closer to God. Let's look at this example. This is, is really challenging too. But someone will say, verse 18, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. Show it to me. Show me the money. <laughs> And I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Great, good for you. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? There's a hypothetical argument 
being presented here, but we understand it's, it's not really so hypothetical. This argument goes on, and, and James is engaged with, with some people on this, this matter. There are those who say, well, you can't judge my heart. Can we judge people's hearts? No, we can't, and we shouldn't. We shouldn't be going around trying to judge people anyways, right? We know that. But there are people who say, you can't judge my heart. I have faith. And maybe what you're doing is just hypocritical, showmanship. Maybe you're just pretending to be a Christian. And that could be true too. But James enters into this hypothetical argument between these people who are saying, you know, we can, we can just be Christians without doing anything. We run into people in the community who say, well, I have faith. I just don't gather with any other people of faith. I just don't read my Bible or do anything, but I have faith. And James is saying, that doesn't work. It doesn't measure up. I mean, people who know how much they depend on Jesus Christ know his plan for the church and that we need each other. You and I, yeah, you and I, we would not stay on track without each other. We need each other. I need you to question me and be example for me. You need one another. We all need that, right? We need to come together and encourage each other. Just as we we sing, we lift up our voices, we worship God together. We need that. Because Christ works through you and I and through us as a group. And so we can't just say, you know, oh, I'm a Christian and I don't do anything. And we can't say, well, look at what I'm doing. I must be a Christian either, right? It's not a both or it's not an either or thing. It's a both and thing. James saying, yeah, I have faith too. Do you know the test of my faith, you know how you, and this is what James is talking about, it's all surface level thing. You know how you're going to be able to see a testimony of true faith? Through how I live my life. And probably those people are starting to shuffle their feet and going, well, you know, I say there's something in my heart. I say I believe in God, but is there gonna be a testimony in this world for my faith? If it doesn't change the way I live? What is the witness for God? We can't claim to have something profound going on in us that never changes us outwardly. Think about pregnancy. That's a profound change. It shows up, doesn't it? Outwardly. And yet we would say, the God of the universe transformed my heart. And then I go on and don't change at all. James is saying it doesn't work. Doesn't work just to say, I believe. Doesn't work to be able to explain the whole gospel and yet have it not change you one iota. Because you know what? This is the demons James says this, even the demons believe. 
Think about that. Could the demons tell us what the gospel is? Could they explain that God came in the form of a man and purposed to die on the cross for the sin of the world? They've seen it. They had a ringside seat. They know. I think about this one too often. The people who died in Noah's flood, they knew. The majority of them would have known Adam, the first man, because Adam died just a generation or so before Noah's flood. He lived for so long. Those people had personal interactions with the guy who was created by God, the guy without a belly button, right? They knew. And yet they said, but we're not going to have a relationship with that God through faith. We're not going to walk in obedience. Maybe as Noah built his boat and as he talked to them and as they saw his, his testimony, there was that in them. Oh, yeah, we know, we know the story. We know what happened. We're good. We're good. Our knowledge of who God is is enough. We're going to live our life the way we want to live. The demons believe in fear. Is fear enough? I remember hearing this statement. It's an old-fashioned kind of statement. But I heard it as a, as a kid. And I heard it in the context of, of funerals. People would say things. I heard it said a couple times. He was a God-fearing man. And the context was, both times, someone who wasn't living out a, an obvious faith. And a close family member would say, yeah, but he was a God-fearing man. Is that enough? Proverbs 1.7 says, Fear of man is the beginning, or the fear of man. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. But it's just the beginning, isn't it? It's not enough just to feel guilty and, and shame and understand we have transgressed. We've sinned against God. We need to turn to him for our salvation. We need to run toward him in a loving response to the love that he has offered to us. That's salvation. That's faith. That's a faith relationship. And some people think, oh, it's just good enough that, well, you know you're a sinner. No, it's not. What a sad thing. What a sad thing if that's, that's the best commentary that someone can give when you pass. Well, at least they feared God. They might not have lived for him. They might not have served him, but at least they feared him. I don't want to do funerals like that. So get going. <laughs> Serve the Lord with all the love that he showed to you. 
Not just guilt, no. Not just an understanding, an understanding of what Christ did. Christ wiped our guilt away. Our shame is gone. And not because we're doing such a great job serving him now, because he just said graciously, you are forgiven. And then that thing that follows, remember, we're created and then recreated to serve him in the original way we were meant to serve him as people, human beings on this earth. Trust and obey. That was a great hymn. Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, to live a life that's satisfied, to go, hey, I know he's there. I know he's with me. I know everything's good. I'm at peace. Just this carefree serving of God. The final examples. Real faith has obedience. Obedience that offers our everything to God. Let's read the examples we have. Verse 21 down to the end. Was not Abraham our father? I mean for the Jews. (laughs) That's who he was. He was their father. (sighs) Genetically. He's our father spiritually too. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. Of course, Abraham was a friend of God. He was the one God called first. Let's take a different look. Verse 24. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute, the Canaanite, justified by works when she received the messenger's And sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead. So also faith apart from works is dead. We read these examples. And we understand that real faith follows through completely. Doesn't mean that someone's perfect. These two examples they weren't perfect. But they had a God given persistence didn't they their lives their hearts were transformed by God and so they continued to follow through and serve God with obedience we look at Abraham and he was not perfect in fact his greatest failure what was it had to do with him being patient regarding God's promised son not just his son but the son that God had promised to him. He said, it's going to be through you that I create a people. And let's not get down on Abraham. He'd wait a good decade more before this promise was fulfilled. How patient are you? Could you do it? A whole decade? Wait for, yeah? I don't know. My wife is saying, no, you couldn't. You're not that patient. 
but that greatest failure of his when he couldn't wait for God and fell into sin ended up being where God showed up through him with real faith and it was his greatest victory of faith he offered that which he loved most that which God gave to him the promised son Isaac he offered him up on an altar back to God because God challenged him said give him back to me sacrifice him and that in a time when the foreign gods, the fake gods, were calling on people, apparently, to sacrifice their children. And they were doing it. And Abraham scratching his head. But you know, he'd been through enough with God at that point in time. Covered a lot of ground, fought a lot of battles, gone through desperate times, and been rescued by his Lord. He knew he could trust him. He could trust his plan. He could trust his purpose. And he could trust the promise that he made, that God made. Because God said, Isaac is the one. It tells us in Hebrews that he thought, well, then God can restore him too. I'll offer him back. And in verse 21, it says that he was justified by this act. Keep in mind, what's James talking about? He's talking about the outward. Your faith and my faith, our belief, how we act. You know, people could question, did James, or did James, did Abraham really follow God? Did he have faith? He said he did. In that act, he was justified. He showed he had true faith. I wasn't talking about him getting saved at that moment. I know we, we use the term correctly, justification, tying it in with salvation. But we know that Abraham was God's child decades before this event, wasn't he? God confirmed the covenant he had with Abraham on several occasions. And so what James is talking about here is this, uh, yeah, there we see it. We see this guy who struggled to follow God and, and here we see his real faith through his action. It wasn't just a, a say-so faith. It wasn't just lip service. But when it came down to it, he was willing to offer his all on the altar. You remember that hymn too, don't you? His all was offered on the altar. Through that act of obedience, his faith was verified, confirmed. His willingness to take God at his word and follow through with obedience. And we say, yeah, Abraham, he was a man of faith. Look what he did. 
He was truly a man of faith. A farmer farms. That's how we know he's a farmer, by what he does. A teacher teaches. A musician plays. An athlete plays. What if I was to say, you know, I got one of those official maple leaf sweaters, the ones with the little holograms on them, say they're a real maple leaf sweater. What if I was to say I was one of the maple leafs? Would you believe me? No, because my, what I do does not justify that statement, does it? I don't even play hockey, let alone play for the Maple Leafs. Wouldn't justify me, my actions, would they? In fact, now, right now, it's playoff time, isn't it? The, the, this, those men are out there trying to justify themselves, justify their salaries. <laughs> Will they do it? Who knows? Let's look at the second example, Rahab. She didn't even have an Israelite's olive leaf uniform, right? Not maple leaf, but olive leaf. You get it? Get it? No, but she believed in her heart. And I can imagine that her belief started out like the demon's belief. It was just a fear. We read about Jericho, right? They knew that the Israelites had crossed the Jordan. The Jordan had been opened up. Those same people that had conquered the Pharaoh and his armies as they departed from Egypt were coming their way. A little bit of anxiety. And probably that's where she began. A fear like everybody else. But somewhere along the way, it changed from simple fear to a willingness to respond to that God, to walk in obedience with him. And we, we see what she does. She believes in this overpowering God, understands that she's part of a sinful people and a prostitute at that. But then... She respected God enough to obey him. She helped needy spies. She put her life on the line to save theirs. And through an act of courage and kindness, verified a change in her allegiance from loving the pagan gods of her people to loving the God of Israel. She hung the scarlet cord in the window. She brought her family together and said, that's our salvation. Those people, they're God. You see, she didn't just say, oh, I believe. Her actions showed real faith. And that's a challenge for us too. Real faith comes through in real courageous action. Where's our allegiance, you and I? Because we do not want to be 
like the first son in those, the parable of the two sons. Remember Jesus told that parable? And the father said to his, his two sons, will you do this? And the one right away, yep, I will. The other, hmm, nah. And then in the end, the first son who was like so gung-ho in the beginning didn't follow through, didn't obey. But the son who was saying no at the first, he changed and he said, oh, no, I'm going to do it. And Jesus asked the question, who's the true son? Who is the true faithful son? The one who followed through with obedience to the father. And that's where we're left. We have probably three basic positions that we could be in here this morning. We might have no real faith. You've been going to church for a while. You probably know the gospel, but do you have a real faith relationship? There, there may be some with no real faith relationship. The kind James is talking about that transforms our lives. The part that changes our hearts and changes how we live. Then you might be here and have an unhappy faith. Because you're not walking in obedience with him. There are things that the Lord's challenged you to do, but you're just not doing them. Yeah, I live there. I live there sometimes. I struggle with that too. We all do. But then if you are a believer, you've had these times of joy-filled faith where you say, Lord, whatever you want, I'll do it. Absolute submission, obedience, and you go, hey, this is what life is all about. We have peace. Not just, wow, I did my job. But we have the peace of the presence of God because that's what Jesus said to his disciples when he said, I'm going to the Father and you're not going to see me physically anymore. And they, they got worried and they started questioning. He says, the world's not going to see me, but you are going to be aware of me. You're going to see me. And they go, how does that work? And he says, well, when you love me. When you love me. When you walk in obedience we will come and dwell with you. You'll know we're here. You'll know that we're with you. And this is the promise. This is the promise of God. We can go from a non-existent faith, we can struggle with a consistent, inconsistent faith, to having a consistent faith, a more consistent walk as we continue to grow with the Lord. We can know joy. A joy that doesn't just come simply from doing the right thing or being the right person. But a joy that comes from being in the right relationship with the right person. Our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, help us. Help us to understand what real faith is. It is the gospel. 
but is the gospel connected and firing on all cylinders in our lives? Thank you for the offer to us, every one of us, this offer that we can walk and live in relationship with you. We can know, no matter how well or how poorly things are going in life, we can know that we're, we're connected to you, that you're caring for us, that we're good. Thank you for giving us a part in this. Yes, we receive you by faith. It's a salvation because of your grace. But you have given us the opportunity to serve with you in this life and to understand the justification that you have given to us through our obedience. Oh Lord, we, we're all at different places in that journey. We're all struggling with different things. But help us to be a congregation, a community that struggles together with one another and with you. So that even though we have failures in our lives, like Abraham, when the testimony of our life is talked about, maybe in a funeral home somewhere, people won't just say, oh, they went to church. Oh, they were a God-fearer. Lord, that they'll say, oh, they love the Lord. They really loved him. You could see it in their life, the way they served him. Their gratitude. Their gratitude that the, for the grace they received in the cross. They love the Lord. Help us to love you, Lord.